I had so many different jobs. Every one of them sort of had nothing to do with the one before. It was, you know, you look at my at my career on paper and it's like, is he in this industry? Is this guy just all over the map? And that ended up being amazing, right? The uh, I gained the skills that I would need. I absorbed so many people's brains. There are so many smart people that I just sat alongside and watched them work. Even when I was bad at it, I watched them fix my mistakes and went, well, I won't do that again. Um, and as long as, so I would use the metric, not like how long do I need to stay in this job before I get my bonus or whatever it may be, but focus on the pace of your learning. As long as you are learning a lot and the things that you're learning are aligned with where you ultimately want to go, you can't go wrong. So change jobs, take risks, focus on the person you're working for, absorb their brain, gain the skills you'll need. And then when that moment of serendipity happens, you'll be ready to see it. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that has grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now, today we've got another great guest on the podcast, Ben Cook. And uh, Ben started out his journey um, studying, uh, I think it was public si- uh, public policy and neuroscience, um, and uh, ended up uh, during that uh, period writing a process on uh, why uh, Hillary Clinton would lose the election as a thesis, um, got involved with the Obama White House uh, initiative uh, to determine why uh, or why some people would uh, join ISIS, which sounds like an interesting thing. And, uh, you know, as a, as a quick side note, I uh, got recruited several times himself online as part of that initiative intentionally, as I understand it, and yes, uh, figured yes. out and uh, <laughs> figured out a, a, a way to uh, disrupt uh, the targeting of uh, recruitments and, and that pipeline. Um, and then moved over to working in a crisis management firm. Um, got recruited to a startup uh, that the or that the firm was using a tool that they provided. So I uh, went and did that for a while, and then uh, got recruited onto the executive team. Um, and then started uh, his own or started uh, or, or the startup was owned by News Corp. Um, or got, I think, acquired or was owned by them. I didn't like the management style, so uh, provided or decided he could do it better on his own, um, quit the job, uh, went his own direction, um, and uh, did that or for or did a product line uh, for a couple of years. Um, I think it was involved with one of the professors, and they'll have to remind me or fill that in, um, and then joined a startup as a, a COO and uh, has been scaling it. Um, and is in the process, I think, of exiting, if I remember right. But you'll have to tell me how that is as well. So uh, hopefully that's mostly Absolutely. accurate. And Ben will certainly definitely correct me where I'm wrong. But with that much <laughs> as an introduction, welcome on the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. It's great to be here. And yeah, the news is we uh, we sold. So as of today, I'm actually unemployed, which is a, a great <laughs> feeling to have. Uh, yeah, kicked off All the new right, year well, with, uh, with, with a blank slate. That's awesome. Well, at least I, or at least I got that part mostly correct. Uh, so that's uh, that's awesome. I I don't know that typically you congratulate someone on being employed, but I'll at least congratulate you on the exit. So that's awesome. But uh, <laughs> now you. let's uh, re- now rewinding the journey a bit and uh, kind of getting started at the beginning and unpacking things a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit how uh, you got started uh, in college doing. I think it was public policy and neuroscience. Yeah, yeah, very weird combination. Very uh, little overlap between the uh, between the two. I, I I took a lot of classes, um, 
No, I, I really, you know, in college, I was, my pure mandate was like, figure out what I love, what I'm interested in, what I'm good at, um, and, and just learn. Um, you know, I think it's, it's funny, a lot of people uh, will, will say, you know, oh, I never use anything that I learned in college. And I, I think I use everything I learned every day. Um, really, the, the, the goal, though, was not prepare me for any one trajectory. It was just like, learn how to learn um, you know, learn how to think. Um, so at, at the end of this, this college journey where I'd done these two totally different things, you know, one, one cognitive neuroscience, very, uh, uh, mathematical, very, you know, scientific and one, uh, public policy, which, which, you know, involves a ton of economics and, and mapping out what the right policy will be. But, um, I kind of kept coming to this, this, uh, this solution. I, the problem I couldn't, I couldn't work out, which is, you know, you could do the math as a, as a policy analyst and say, hey, here's the policy that's going to make everyone better off. And then again and again and again, you come to the real world, and that is not the policy that we choose. Um, mm-hmm. So I got really interested in what are the sort of uh, uh, cognitive drivers of political belief. And started studying that, you know, how you sort of blend the two together, how you use some of the neuroscience stuff and the behavioral economic stuff to try and feed in and explain why people make the choices that they do when it comes to, to policy. Mm. Um, so this was in 2015, and uh, it was sort of the lead up now to the, to the 2016 election. Uh, we didn't yet know who the Republican nominee would be, uh, but um, it was pretty clear it was going to be Hillary Clinton on the Democratic side. And I just got so curious about her sort of positioning and, and ended up sort of, you know, looking at it from a, from this more cognitive behavioral neuroscience lens and going, man, I, I don't think she's going to win. Um, and so wrote this whole thesis sort of explaining why, um, explaining what I thought some of those drivers would be, those things that would be really hard for her to overcome. And yeah, it was on the basis of that, that, that I ended up finding this weird after college gig where I was consulting with the Obama White House trying to disrupt ISIS recruitment, which is uh, pretty much the strangest first job you could possibly have. I remember my grandma saying like, Ben, can you just like be a doctor or a lawyer, like something I can just explain <laughs> to my friends and they're like, I get it. Yes. Good. Ben's doing well. Um, now, just curious, how did how did you get into that? I just, I, it sounds interesting. It sounds like it'd be a you know it'd be an interesting opportunity and one that doesn't come up as often. But yeah, on the other hand, it doesn't seem like it would be the normal or typical path. So how did you kind of get into that, or what was the the steps to to get to, into working to disrupt ISIS recruitment? Yeah, you know, um, the way I was thinking about it at the time was uh, that. I don't know what I want to do. Uh, I, mean, I was 22. I, I had no idea what the working world was going to be like. So I, you know, so many of my friends were going into consulting or banking and you know, these really clearly defined career paths. And yeah, that, that, that was enticing for sure. But I think the, the way I tried to think about it was like, l- let me find someone who I think is really smart, successful, doing well, working on interesting projects, doing stuff that matters and just, absorb their brain, put myself in a position where I can sit side by side with them, learn how they work, learn how they think, um, support where I can, but really just my job was to absorb everything about this person as I possibly could. 
So I met through a sort of chain of, uh, of intros. I met this, this woman who was running a, a, a boutique consulting agency um, doing this work, uh, doing this ISIS work. Um, she actually was a brand strategist. So she came at it from sort of the, the brand perspective. And I came at it from more of the policy perspective. I understood some of the uh, intricacies of the diplomatic nightmare morass that is that is the, the Middle East. Mm. So, um, yeah, that was very much my mandate. Uh, you know, I was, I was like, I'm going to go there and I'm going to just absorb this person's brain as much as I can. I think I did that pretty quickly. Um, I definitely... You know, I also, uh, you get the good with the bad. You know, I, I absorbed a lot of great ways to think. And I also learned a lot of lessons about, um, you know, how I would want to run a company one day. It was a very small team um, and just a lot about, you know, culture and, and how to incentivize people, how to work together to get mm. stuff done. Um, so, yeah, I, I ended up, uh, I got radicalized online about 40 times and sort of reverse engineered uh the the playbook this is with like dummy accounts um you know we could pretty quickly start to reverse engineer what's the playbook you know when i would say this i would get an isis recruiter in my dms um you know if i would say this they would stop talking to me if i would say that they would double down and you sort of piece together the playbook they were using to radicalize people in the west recruit them to to, to join isis um, and then designed a whole bunch of strategies to, to try and disrupt that, that journey, um, which is a lot of fun. It was, uh, I, you know, I mean, there were some dark moments where, you know, I'm there and just watching a lot of pretty horrible ISIS content, but, um, really it was, it was, it was excellent training just to, to really get inside the mindset of mm. the consumer, I guess, <laughs> the, uh, the recruit. Um, you know, you're trying to move someone from where they are today to to taking uh, to taking a crazy leap, which is join ISIS. And I, I was just fascinated by how you how you move someone along that journey, and I think learned a lot about about how to yeah, how to influence people. Well, that does sound uh, pretty interesting. So now, so you do that, and and then you know you come off from that, and sounds like you know it's it kind of does sound like it'd be interesting from the figuring out the methodology and the ideology and yet also terrifying in the sense that you, you know, that's a, a very dark place to go. And so you come out of that and you say, okay, we're going to do that. You did that for a period of time. And then what kind of, you know, did that just simply wrap up or did you graduate or kind of what was the, the next step in your journey as you continued along? Yeah. So I did that about a year. Um, and at that point, the, the ISIS project had wound down um, sort of, you know, trying to figure out what I was going to be working on next. And, and realized that I think it just wasn't a good sort of cultural fit with that. It was a very small team, again, really organized around this founder. And I sort of felt like I had absorbed what I wanted to absorb. So I, uh, I left that job and um, I remember just sort of sitting there and thinking to myself, like, what am I good at? Um, you know, okay, I've, I've learned this thing, but, you know, have I learned what, what it is that I'm, that I'm really good at? And the, the, the way, you know, this is a, a real story is, uh, that I was literally clipping my nails. Uh, I was living in Brooklyn. I was sitting on the roof, looking at you know the Manhattan skyline uh, in Williamsburg, uh, unemployed, being like, I don't know what I'm good at. What should I do? And I, I had this moment where I was like, Well, I'm pretty good under pressure. I think that I, you know, say whatever else you will, but I'm good in a crisis. And so I literally then finished clipping my nails, walked downstairs, and uh, and Googled crisis management and uh threw in a, a a resume and got a call back 
Um, and it ended up being just phenomenally good training. There's, uh, there's really nothing like a crisis to reveal the flaws in your strategy, the uh, personnel problems on the executive teams. You know, you, I would be there as a 23-year-old in the room with a Fortune 500 CEO as his business is falling apart around them and, you know, sweating and yelling at this person, yelling at this person. You see the dynamics where, you know, CEO and CFO go in a corner and make all the decisions and everyone else is there going, I don't know what they're going to do. It was phenomenal. Just having that front row seat to to those make or break moments was uh, was a really, really, really great training for me. At the same time, you know, it's a consulting model, right? And the whole way a consulting agency makes money is that you have junior talent who does a whole bunch of work and bills at a huge multiple of the of the amount they're getting. Um, so I pretty quickly realized that uh, that if I wanted to do more than just execute the work and make someone else rich. Um, uh, a, a mentor of mine said, you got to pay attention to which side your bread is buttered on. Uh, he's Australian. So a uh, little, little colorful analogy, but the idea is, you know, pay attention to the part of the business that makes money. And if you are aligned with the part of the business that's making money, mm. you're going to be in a much better position. Pay attention to the side of the bread that, you know, that's got the butter. So um, from there, I, I started working more and more and more on new business for the agency, you know, figuring out how to, how to win customers and how to align the capabilities of the agency with the needs of the customers. Ended up um, getting kind of internally poached away to a, uh, a more agency-wide strategy position. Um, and that's where I started using these more interesting uh, tools that were being developed, particularly to monitor a social media conversation. And uh, came across this startup. Yeah, and I, and I think just one note you hit on. I, I think that's a truism because it's the same thing in the legal industry, right? And legal industry, you typically will call them rainmakers, right? So you know, it's yeah. always, hey, is a yeah. managing, or you know, there's there's posts and people that always say all the time that you know who runs a firm, it's not the managing partner, it's a rainmaker because the people that are yep. making the money are going to be the ones that have the greatest influence on the business. Doesn't matter who's the boss or who's in charge because if the rainmakers leave or they're not happy, the business doesn't do well. And so I think that aligning that definitely makes sense. And so so now you. You're doing that, align that, uh, you know, adjust that or shift that alignment a bit, doing that for a bit. And then you said, you know, you working with one of the startups that had a, an interesting or unique uh, kind of tool uh, for social media monitoring or, or, you know, those type of things. So how did you, did you decide just to make the leap and go work for them? Or they you, you kind of mentioned they recruited you, but kind of how did that transition go? And how did you decide, hey, I'm going to go in that direction? Yeah, yeah. Well, so, so again, you know, I, I, I've been in this sort of strategy role about a year and um, had a, a, amazing mentors there as well. Still just trying to absorb the brains. You know, I, I kept thinking about um, you know, what are, I don't know what I want to do long-term, but what are the skills that I'm going to need to, to develop when I get there? Um, you know, again, maybe I'll start a company. I don't know. I don't have any idea. I don't have any idea what I'm doing, but uh, I know that, you know, to get there, I'll need to learn this to get there. I'll need to learn that. Mm -hmm. So, um, I was sitting there, I was kept using the tools of this one startup in particular that that really went above and beyond sort of social media monitoring to, to do some really, really interesting complex analysis on social media data, pull out like actual actionable business insights. Um, and I just thought they were so cool. Um, and then out of the blue, uh, a recruiter from that startup reached out to me. Um, they said they were really looking for someone who understood 
their customers, like what their customers needed. And I was one of their customers and had the strategy position. So, so they brought me in um, uh, and it ended up being a really great place for me to land because, you know, among all the other people at the startup, I was sort of the one who uniquely understood things from the customer's perspective. Um, so I, I was initially doing some like strategy sales strategy work, um, for one of the, one of the divisions of the company. And after about six months, um, ended up moving on to, uh, more within the executive function, um, and, and helping to lead up the, uh, uh, commercial strategy for the overall business. So that's, I set up this really inter- interesting intersection of, you know, sales, marketing, product, the analysts, sort of all the intersection of all the different divisions of the company. So, you know, I, I was the conduit through which information flowed from one team to the other, the champion mm-hmm. of the customer. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't have gotten to do that if I didn't have this sort of weirdly unique background where I, where I really got why someone would find it valuable what we were building. Um, so I was there for about another year and uh, I kept having this problem though, where I would come up with something that I thought was just utterly brilliant. I'd be like, man, this is it. Got it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd spend, you know, days and nights locked away, you know, scribbling on a notepad and be like, here it is. Here's the perfect plan. And then that plan kept not getting executed for reasons that I didn't have any control over. Um, you mentioned, so this startup had been acquired by News Corp. Um, they're very, very good at running media properties, but uh, they, they're famously the ones who bought MySpace and bear hugged it to death. <laughs> and I kind of kept seeing the similar, uh, similar mindset thwart some of these, these ideas. And, you know, that's all well and good. I was getting paid and all, but I realized that I wasn't, I had stopped learning because I didn't get to see if my idea was going to work because it never got tested. It never got, you know, that cold, hard kick in the teeth from reality. Um, So I was really looking to see like, all right, I keep having these things that I think are smart, but let's find a way for me to to actually see. Mm. So that's when I, set off on my own, took this entrepreneurial leap, was like, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to start my own consulting business um, and probably made some of the biggest mistakes of my career at that point. But I had no idea what I was doing. No, but I, I think there's always, if you if you ever go, I think that's a lot of the same direction that a lot of entrepreneurs get in the sense that you get there to the point and you, you kind of, whether you're right or wrong is in or is a bit outside the point, but you always feel like I can do this better. I can do this. I make better decisions or I may, I'm the one that's really driving the company or I see the path and whatever that is. I think every entrepreneur thinks they can do it better. Otherwise they would never make that leap because if you thought your boss could do it better, or the business you're working for does it better then you would stay there. And so I think that's always, you know, it's an interesting realization. That I think a lot of people have now, sometimes you get into it and you figure out, Hey, I can't do it better. Or there was a reason why they were doing it this way. Or there's a lot of things that I didn't understand. And that's, I think, par for course. But, you know, so you make that leap and you say, okay, I think I can do this better. And I think I can do it on my own. And I want to be able to test out these ideas and be able to implement them. And you said, you know, so you kind of mentioned that there were some ups and downs or mistakes and things to learn and, and, and everything else. So how did it go as far as once you made that leap? Yeah, well, 
first of all, you're, you're, you're totally right, right? You know, every entrepreneur at some point has to take that just like crazy leap of faith where you're like, I think I could do this better than anyone else. And, you know, more often than not, you're wrong. Uh, you know, you learn really quickly uh, the areas in which you were right, the areas in which you were wrong. So I learned very quickly the area in which I was wrong, um, which was, you know, despite being this person where my job had been to be the voice of the customer, I, I was, I was so nervous as, you know, I saved up my, you know, I was, you know, bag lunch and, and, you know, not, not doing anything fun for six months, you know, save up, give myself the, the runway, um, uh, you know, and, and finally I, you know, I get there and I'm, I, I've got all these big ideas and I quit my job and I, I start and it's, you know, it's day one, uh, fall of 2019 and I just, locked myself in my room and I designed product in a void that was beautiful. It was everything that I thought it should be. It was intricately designed. I had, you know, blog posts supporting every one of these things and examples and pitch decks and all of this material. And I never actually talked to a customer. So I spent, I wasted two months just getting ready because I was so nervous to you know take that leap, put myself out there, be like, "Will you give me money for for this thing?" And I had this just brutal come to reality moment when I started actually trying to sell this. And you know, I'm on slide eight of my pitch deck, and it's not going well. And I get to slide twelve, and they're like, "Oh, this is you know, I've lost them." And customer after customer kept saying, "Well." You know, what you're saying is really interesting and I kind of get at a high level this thing, but really there was only one little bit in there that that actually would make sense for us to buy. And so the the decision that I made that was good was I uh, scrapped two months of work and said, forget everything that I'd done. Uh, not a big like just throw that in the trash. We're gonna go with what people uh, what people actually want to buy. I mean, that was partially motivated because I was gonna run out of money. And I didn't want to go bankrupt. Um, so I uh, started selling what people wanted to actually buy. And that, once I pivoted around that, then started actually gaining some traction, started having a consulting business, started to go well. And then COVID hit. And that just sort of kneecapped progress exactly where it was because you know, the world is ending. No one wants to spend money. Certainly no one wants to spend money on something new and experimental. Um, so uh, again, kind of had this like, oh God, what am I going to do moment in my life? Mm. So, you know, and, and I think that that, you know, you're in good company within, in the sense that there are plenty of people with, within COVID that whether it was companies had to shut down, they had to pivot, they had to adjust, they had different realizations, the land, the landscape shifted and you had to pivot or adjust with it. And those that figured it out were able to, or, or just, or had to just completely shut down and go in a different direction were the ones that survived or made it through. And those that uh, oftentimes tried to continue on doing what they've been doing in a new landscape are the ones that tend to suffer. And so as you're figuring that out, or as you're saying, okay, things are different, COVID's hitting, what did you decide to do or, or kind of what was the direction that you went? Yeah, so um, you're getting, you kind of had to, to, it's exactly what you're saying, you had to just recognize reality. Um, you know, the reality was that uh, much as I was proud that I had uh, pivoted, that I had finally found something that people wanted, as excited as I was to try that out, it wasn't going to happen for me. So at that point, 
I, uh, I kind of went back to that, like, all right, well, I don't know. I was like, I really like working for myself. I want to keep doing that, but I don't know what I'm going to be working. I don't have the idea. I don't have funding. Um, but I know now that my goal is to work for myself. So I was like, all right, when I get to the point that I have the idea, that I have the funding, that I have the team, what am I going to need to do? And that's, I went back to that, let me absorb the brain of someone really, 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 really smart and take that skill set with me and it'll be useful no matter what I do. So I, uh, I took this sort of part-time detour. So I was still doing some consulting work on the side, but started working part-time at Harvard Business School where I'd met these uh, professors who are some of the world's leading experts in negotiation, you know, wrote the book on, on negotiation. And I realized that a lot of the capability that I'd been building, which is this sort of complex social media analytics, could feed in really nicely to inform negotiation strategies, kind of the, the ultimate crisis moment where, you know, a small edge can translate to billions of dollars in difference when you're talking about a, a merger or a diplomatic agreement, you know, big, large scale, complex negotiations. So, um, and, and, and these professors are just brilliant. And I was like, I just, I want to learn to think the way that they think. So I um, started working there part-time, did a lot of uh, uh, research, publishing, published a series of papers on this, a bunch of guest lecturing, um, brief sort of cameos trying to help train Congress to negotiate more effectively in a digital age. Mm. Um, and yeah, spent probably, you know, again, about a year, a little less, um, figuring out uh, just this whole world of negotiation. And I, and I realized that I just absolutely loved it. It was, uh, it was like my, uh, the, the geekiest thrill in the world to just figure out, uh, you know, these really complex academic concepts, absorbing brains from the smartest people I knew left and right. Um, I had a wonderful time. It was really, really great. So, so you, you go back to academics and said, okay, I'm going to, absorb a lot of great information from the the people that are professors and are working in those different industries, get the more skills in place, um, get everything, you know, kind of, hey, if I don't know exactly what I want, want to do now from a business perspective, but I know I want to go in that direction, let's get everything in place so I can set myself up for success. Now, how did you, because we mentioned kind of at the very brief intro of the podcast that you just made an exit. So prior to making an exit, you actually have to have yeah. something to exit from. So what was, the, what was the business that you landed on? What did you build up and, and, and how did it go? Yeah. So, um, uh, so at this point I'm, I'm working part-time at HBS. Um, we're using a lot of that research to drive consulting business. I'm working with the, uh, with these professors on, on their consulting business. Um, things are going well. But um, you know, I'm still I'm still trying to figure out what what comes next, what I want to do with all this. Um, and you know, I think the benefit of having thought a lot about, all right, you know, I want to understand the side the bread is buttered on, right? I want to uh, you know learn about commercial strategy. I want to learn about how to move people along a journey. I want to or stop them from moving along a journey if it's ISIS. Um, you know, I want to absorb how to you know think like a negotiator. All of these things set me up for this moment of just total serendipity. Um, if I hadn't done those things, this never would have happened. But because I had, when this store opened, I was ready to step through. 
So what happened was one of the professors I was working with, this guy, David Lax, one of the best negotiators in the world, um, had been involved with setting up a startup uh, about three years previously. And that startup's mission was to uh, help people negotiate their salary. So basically two thirds of people don't negotiate salary uh, and hundred percent of employers lowball you on the first offer. So just in the, the, the Delta between what everyone, you know, what workers accept and what employers might pay workers leave about $188 billion on the table. annually. So, and, and that is vastly disproportionate by gender, by race. Um, it's, it's a big part of the, that we say behind the pay gap is this sort of hidden negotiation gap. So, um, this professor had been involved with starting this company. Uh, they'd raised venture money uh, and their vision for solving this problem was they were gonna build this uh, AI powered chatbot that uh, was gonna work with people hand in hand, sort of like chat GPT, right? Where you, know, you describe your scenario, it spits out an email, you send that email to the recruiter, the recruiter responds back, you tell it what, it's, what the recruiter said and you know, branching possibilities. And the initial founder, who's a, a, a brilliant um, uh, engineer, like three engineering degrees from Stanford and, and a great product lead, um, uh, had really wanted to solve this problem with a technical solution. So she had spent about three years and about a million dollars building this AI-powered negotiation bot. Mm. And the thing that was crazy is it worked. So if someone would use it, it would get them about $20,000 extra on average. Phenomenal. We could not give it away for free. We're literally paying salespeople to try and go give it to organizations that would use it for free just to try to get it in users' hands. No one was willing to trust this AI bot with something as sensitive and personal and important as salary. So we just, you know, we had this thing that would, create all this value if people would only use it, couldn't figure out how to get people to use it. And so this professor sort of came to me and was like, I want to introduce, you have a background in commercial strategy, right? I was like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, and you know, negotiation. I was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, I want to introduce you to the startup. Maybe you'll be able to help them figure out some way to turn this machine that can earn someone $20,000 into a business. So I started meeting with them um, and just got so hooked by that problem how do you have this thing that can make tens of thousands of dollars and, and, and people won't even pay? Um, they won't even use it. So I, I just sort of couldn't stop thinking about the problem. And I was like, there's gotta be a way to solve this. So started consulting for them originally. And then they were like, okay, this is, you know, you seem like you're onto something here. They brought me on originally as COO. Mm-hmm. Um, and I figured out a, a pivot to the product where basically all we did was we put a, a human face in front of the tech. And uh, so we had this network of recruiters, these people who've been on the other side of the table for a salary conversation for a decade and used them to do basically it was a therapy session. You know, someone would come in and they'd want to, you know, talk all about you know, how nervous they were, how they don't want to be greedy, but they knew they need more money because they're trying to send their kid to college or whatever it may be. Um, do that therapy session, take notes, spit it into the machine. Machine spits out the strategy. People loved it. Um, so at that point, we started to make money for the first time in, in three years because people were willing to pay for this sort of this coaching, this tech-enabled coaching service. Mm. And so that was about 10 weeks into my tenure as COO. 
And at that point, it was pretty clear that like this was the direction that the business needed to go. And so the engineer CEO realized, you know, let Ben run with this. She stepped aside. The board named me CEO. And we ended up scaling that from zero to a million in run rate within about six months, um, which is a wild ride in itself, but uh, uh, very much a, uh, you know, yeah, you know, that's right awesome. place at the right time, but I've been prepared for it. No, then I, I think that's always kind of, sometimes the things that people want to overlook is that, you know, the overnight success is 10 years in the making and all the work that goes into it and the experience and setting it up and having the skill sets. And then you sometimes will get that what appears to be a, a quick win, but it's really because you put in a lot of the time and effort behind the scenes that people often don't see. So, so now as we're kind of catching towards uh, the present day of the, of the journey and also uh, wrapping towards the end of the episode, you know, catch us up. So you just made the exit, you know, What's next? What do you what do you anticipate doing, or what's what's the next step for you? Yeah, yeah. So, so we we ended up doing about um, five thousand users, which is about a hundred million dollars in incremental salary that we got for people. Um, realized though that we'd sort of built this uh, this engine that could attract customers. Everyone feels the pain point about negotiation. It was profitable on the first transaction, but you know, there wasn't a way for us to keep people engaged. And so we were like, either we can raise a bunch of money and build that, or we can partner with someone who's already built that. And so we ended up, um, yeah, selling to, to another uh, HR tech startup that's uh, helps people throughout their career journey. And we're basically just a, a customer acquisition engine for them. Um, so yeah, sold, sold the thing uh, at 3.58 PM on December 30th. So right before the end of your deadline. Um, and I, you know, it's really funny when, when you, when you make the decision, like, okay, we're going to sell this company. Um, your job changes so much as CEO, you're no longer building, you're no longer growing, you're no longer scaling. You're just packaging up for someone else. And, you know, that's lucrative work for sure. Uh, I did it. I enjoyed it, but it, it didn't hook me the way that figuring out how to scale the business did. And so I, you know, I don't know exactly what it's going to be next, but I am, I'm addicted. It is the highest highs and the lowest lows often within 30 minutes of each other. And uh, I can't get enough. The, the adrenaline rush, the, the, you know, anything else I would do would be boring at this point. So back in the saddle. Well, sounds like it'll be a, a fun, uh, a fun uh, journey. Uh, figuring out the next, uh, the next thing that will be um, coming up for you, and it was uh, great that you're able to, to make an exit right in time for the end of the new year. So, well, that was we, uh, you know, kind of uh, reached the present day of your journey, and even looking a little bit to maybe where you're headed in the in the future. Um, great time to transition to the two questions I always ask at the end of each episode. So we'll jump to those now. Um, so the first question I always ask is: Along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made? And what'd you learn from it? I love this question so much. Everyone always, you know, oh, what was that genius moment, right? And <laughs> no, life is not about genius moments. But boy, I can tell you, I can tell you some bad ones. Um, I think the worst decision I ever made was was that that first one I ever made uh, when when I set off on the on the entrepreneurial journey. Um, I was uh, this is when I you know initially broke free from the startup where I'd been in commercial strategy and I was like, I'm going to do it all on my own and just worked in a vacuum. 
did not talk to customers, burned so much time and energy and effort just talking to myself. Um, the truth is I was just nervous and understandable that I was nervous, but, uh, you know, it's a nerve wracking journey. So the sooner you can start getting used to having reality kick you in the teeth, the better, uh, the less time and energy and effort you'll burn. And, uh, yeah, that is a lesson I learned very, very, very painfully, uh, very much the hard way. It was, uh, yeah, one I will not, a mistake I will not make again. No, and I think that's, you know, I think everybody hears that thing. Oh, I'll never make that mistake. I'll get customer or client feedback. But it's just one that's easy to talk yourself into. Well, I am the customer. I know what they need or and everything. And it, it, sometimes you might get lucky. Sometimes it might be true. But I think removing your avoid or not getting that uh, feedback early on is can be very negatively impactful. I think the other one is a lot of times get out and sell as quick as you can. And I'm not saying you have to sell a product before you are, but start asking people, Hey, do you want to take pre-orders? Do you want to take pre-sales? See if they're actually willing to put their money where their mouth is. And if they say, yes, here's, you know, here's my pre-order. Great. You got a good indication. If on the other hand, they say, no, I'm really not interested or or really would need to do this. Or, you you know, you start to get that hesitation, then you can start to follow up or figure out why they wouldn't buy it, why they wouldn't pay for it and what the the holdup is. So I think that's definitely um, easy mistake to make, but a great one to learn from. Second, second. Oh, go ahead. The, 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 the thing with that is, yeah, everyone says they won't make that mistake. I was the guy who was the voice of the customer. That was my full-time job at, at the original startup I was working for, right? So I really should have known better. And uh, when it comes down to it, nerves will get you. Um, yeah, you've got you to gotta get outside of the room, outside of your own four walls, start talking to people. Absolutely agree with you. Second question now I always ask is, if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Yeah, I thought about this a lot. You know, I think um, uh, when I look back at, 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 you know, particularly sort of that moment, right, that moment of serendipity where here is this idea, uh, you know, well, they'd made a similar mistake where they, you know, spent three years and a million dollars trying to build product. But here's this idea. It's really promising. I have this opportunity to, to go and, and run the thing. Um, what was it that let me actually be able to take advantage of that, of that moment of serendipity? And I think it, it really was that focus on what are the skills that I'm going to need? Because there is so much uncertainty, you know, for someone who wants to be an entrepreneur, you know, there's this sort of mythos, right? You know, this is the Zuckerberg jobs mythos where, you know, it's one person in their basement and they just brilliant or garage and they brilliantly come up with the whole thing. And, and, you know, it springs fully formed from their mind and, you know, that's possible. There are also people who really do just have that brilliant breakthrough moment of an idea and then figure out all the rest. But if you know you want to run a company, focus on, and, and you don't know what that is yet, focus on the things that you know you're going to need when you get there. So tangibly, I think that means changing jobs a lot. I had so many different jobs. Every one of them sort of had nothing to do with the one before it was, you know, you look at my at my career on paper and it's like, again, this industry is, and that ended up being amazing, right? The, uh, I gained the skills that I would need. I absorbed so many people's brains. There are so many smart people that I just sat alongside and watched them work. Even when I was bad at it, I watched them fix my mistakes and went, well, I won't do that again. Um, 
And as long as, so I would use the metric, not like how long do I need to stay in this job before I get my bonus or whatever it may be, but focus on the pace of your learning. As long as you are learning a lot and the things that you're learning are aligned with where you ultimately want to go, you can't go wrong. So change jobs, take risks, focus on the person you're working for, absorb their brain, gain the skills you'll need. And then when that moment of serendipity happens, you'll be ready to see it. Awesome. Well, I think that's definitely a great, uh, great takeaway and some great uh, piece of advice. So, well, now as we wrap up the episode, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend for your next adventure, um, since you just made your exit on this one. Uh, but what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Yeah, um, well, I would have said Riva if we talked uh, a week ago, but um no, I'm a, I got a website, benwcook.com. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm easy to find. There are a lot of Ben Cooks, but uh, if you look for Ben Cook in negotiation or Riva, R-I-V-A, I'll be there. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out, connect, and uh, nothing else, make a new best friend. So with that, thank you again, Ben, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you the listeners that are out there, if you have your own journey to share and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, we'd love to have you. So let's go to inventiveguest.com. Apply to be on the show. A couple more things as listeners. Make sure to click share, subscribe, and leave us a review so we can make sure to share these awesome journeys with even more startups and small businesses to help them along their journey. And with that, if you ever need help with your journey, um, along your journey with patents, trademarks, or anything else with your startup, your small business, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Well, thank you again, Ben, for coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for having me on.